Welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in Hebrews chapter 10. It reads, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sin and their lawless deeds no more. When there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. As we jump in here to chapter 10, the author begins to transition 
to this forward-looking faith that he's going to be calling us all to draw upon. He's doing this as he transitions Christ's sacrifice to this thought of what we are doing as we wait and as we anticipate the fulfillment of the future promises for those who have faith and the future judgment for those who don't. That begins in verse 19 and is where we're going to really anchor in today to draw an opportunity for us to anchor our faith in what the author of Hebrews is pointing us to. And so he calls us to draw near to God through our high priest Jesus, because he has offered a sacrifice for us that gets us into God's presence. And as we continue to do that, he tells us the way in which we live according to the promises that are there. Let's look at verses 23 through 25. It gives us several specific things that we're called to do as we live and we await the fulfillment of the future promises. First, we hold fast the confession of our hope, saying that it's only in Christ Jesus and what he's done for us, because the faithfulness of God allows us to be certain that the promise that he has made for us will be received. Second, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. In doing so, we're able to live in relation to the people around us according to our new right standing before God. Once we're made right with God, we're given the opportunity to continue to restore the relationships of the people around us. We do that by stirring them up to love and to good deeds. But it's also important that we understand that we're not calling them to live the moralistic standards of the Old Testament or the Mosaic Law or any of those other things, but we're calling them first to a right standing with God that then will allow them to express the love that's been given to them from God to those around them as well. It's interesting here, he also gives a negative thing to do. So we do two things in here. We don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some. We see this error common in our day. People saying, hey, I can be a Christian, but I don't really need to go to church. I don't really need to be around God's people. And they come up with excuses like they're all hypocritical or there's nothing that I really gain from being there. But the warning here from the author of Hebrews is living in right relationship with God involves living in community with others, spurring them on to love and good deeds, and meeting together to corporately worship and to corporately do these different things as a part of the body of Christ. And we see those images throughout scripture and the importance of being connected to the life of the rest of the church. And he gives us an important thing that they're supposed to be doing because they're supposed to be encouraging one another all the more as this eschatological or this end times day of judgment and of the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises is drawing near. Life is hard and we need that encouragement from one another. We receive that when we gather together with the saints and when we are intertwined in their lives, so much so that our life and what God is doing in our life spills over to encourage, to support, to point others to the heart of the gospel and to what God is trying to do with his church, his people. These are the important things that the author is transitioning our focus to. He's saying that this future day that we're preparing for and how we live our life is an important part of our understanding of what has already taken place for us. 
In the next chapter, he's going to point us to examples of how we still live in the same mindset of those who came before us. We'll save that for then, but for now, let's begin to think and begin to transition our mind to this forward-looking faith that gives us the assurance of what we desire in receiving what God has given us as his promises. As far as a question from this passage, one of them that comes up commonly is verse 4. It says there, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the question is, if it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, then why were so many sacrificed? Isn't that a waste of these animals? Why would they do that? Why would it be needed if it's actually not taking away the sins? Which is probably why the people were doing it. We're sacrificing these things so that our sins are covered. But if this blood doesn't actually do that, why are the sacrifices there? Or what is this verse trying to teach us about the sacrificial system? As we jump in to answer that today, we'll understand it in terms of three benefits of what's taking place by the Old Testament sacrificial system. So yes, the actual blood of the bulls and the goats does not actually remove the sin. It offers what we can see as a temporary covering or a temporary appeasing of God's wrath by the obedience of the worshiper and what they're doing. But it displays several important things for us to understand. Number one, God's holiness. The fact that they needed to make a sacrifice to be in God's presence or to be in a right standing with God displays that he's separate, holy, and set apart. That there is something we have to do to get to his level. We have to provide a sacrifice to allow us to be in his presence. A second thing that it shows us is the seriousness of their sin. When they sin, they need to make a sacrifice. So much so that when they sinned, they could have walked away from that, immediately sinned, and needed to go right back in and offer another sacrifice to cover that sin that took place after that sacrifice. Which brings us to a third item. It points them to the need for full forgiveness in the future. And that's what came with Jesus Christ. So in a sense, this sacrificial system of the Old Testament was present to point them to the reality of what they would need in the future. It wasn't to be final. It wasn't to be what they relied upon, but was to prepare them for the coming Messiah, the anointed one who would make their relationship with God right once again through his sacrifice on the cross. So if there was no sacrificial system, why would Jesus need to die on the cross for them? It needed to display the seriousness of their sin, the holiness of God, the need for that sacrifice to take place, to appease his wrath and to restore them into right standing with God. So the sacrificial system has a place, but it never truly was able to cover the sins of the worshipers by just the blood of the bulls and the goats and the other things they sacrificed. Instead, it was the obedience of those individuals that they came forward that allowed God to cover their sins temporarily until they needed more sacrifices to do that, to allow them to eventually have the true once and for all sacrifice that would cover the sins of the people. And so that question, question out of verse four, is a common question from this passage. This once again is a very large passage compared to some of them that we've been walking through. So I'm sure you have many other questions that you'd like to dive into. I encourage you to continue to curiously study God's word so that you grow in your understanding of how he's revealing himself to you and how he's communicating his character, his attributes, and his desire for each one of us to pattern our lives 
lives after the person of Jesus Christ and the way in which he calls us to live in accordance with the promises that are ensured by him. As you do that today, know you are loved. You're-